Join brilliant minds as they come together to tackle the biggest healthcare problems facing the globe. The content in this series is taken from the 2018 conference in London. Coming up is Professor Joe Wilmshurst on the most powerful way to provide healthcare education to developing countries. Enjoy. My name is uh, Prof Jo Wilmshurst. I'm a doctor, a child neurologist, but my main role and my reason for being here and talking to you today is that I'm director of a training program called the African Pediatric Fellowship Program based through the Department of Pediatrics and Child Health under the University of Cape Town in South Africa. So, doctors have come to uh, my centre, Red Cross War Memorial Children's Hospital, for many, many years. And they've come from many parts of Africa. And traditionally, the model that we followed is that we would train those doctors up in areas that they needed. And then we had no particular insight into what happened to them, where they would go. And they would usually finish their, their training and often depart to resource-equipped countries. In 2007, we decided to look at our model. And we restructured this. And what we did was we undertook a process where we engaged with some of the centers that we noticed had been recurrent referrees, where we often were getting trainees coming in from. So other countries within Africa, where we already had some relationships, and we decided to strengthen and bolster them. We visited those centers. We asked them, what do you need? We formed partnerships formally with them. And we asked them to identify, what are your strategic healthcare needs? What are your areas that you are lacking in? What skills would help you practice in your centers, in your units? What is actually needed? And will you please identify the most appropriate trainee to come to us with the understanding that when that trainee completes their training with us in the areas that are needed, you will have a place for them to return back to. So they would actually then be able to use their skills to improve and enhance their care that they're providing. The stakeholders of our program are in fact quite diverse. There's obviously our center and the partner centers. It's a donor-driven program. So our donors, we are very invested uh, with them and them likewise with us. Um, and we have a very close working relationship with several donors from different sources, which we feel are important for our sustainability. But in the other side of the stakeholders, there are obviously the uh, actual referring supervisors. We encourage each trainee to have a mentor in their own site. The supervisors that train the trainees when they come to us. We have a network of facilitators that provide additional help for the trainees to teach them additional clinical skills, communication skills, research skills, to actually give them additional information and support to help them with how they actually learn, not just on a clinical format, but also how they present themselves. And we've also been involved with promoting them for how they operate with their standard operating procedures. How do they actually look at systems and their systems development? So beyond just being a doctor, actually looking at how do you implement and make change so they can have lobbying and advocacy potential when they return. We have a team of administrative staff because obviously it's a lot of work to get even just one individual in. And most importantly, the children. The children are our major stakeholders because the whole point of the program is to improve child health. So before we form that partnership with the institutional partner, we need to make sure that they want to have a partnership, that they feel there's a need. 
We have traditionally worked with groups that we've had relationships with already, but we've also been open and we've engaged with other areas, but we visit them. We encourage them to visit us. And we try to have a good conversation before we fix anything. So it's often quite a slow process, but we think it works better in the long run to be very clear about all of our goals. We encourage each center that does referring to have their own working committee. And that committee are the people that are leaders deciding what areas of training are needed and to identify a three to five year strategic plan so that we can also plan who is going to need to come for training and where there must be ring fence training potentials. So it's a very structured program. Even before an accepted trainee comes through, we start communication with them about what they want. And we've named it various names, but probably the best description is a transition and translation of knowledge. So where they come in with their perceived ideas, and they then translate those ideas and the information gained into change in practice. And that often is a process happening over the time they're with us and beyond. So before they come, they write as a narrative that describes the demographics of where they come from, what their health structure is like, what they view their challenges, and why they want to come for training. And this often gives us an idea of how we may need to structure their training and what unique needs that particular trainee might have. Once they arrive, things often change. They realize that their perceived ideas are wrong, that what they wanted to target is not going to be optimal, and that, in fact, we need to adjust to make changes for them. So the conversation continues. Midway to halfway through the, the training and a little way into it, they actually start looking at what are they going to do when they go home. How are they going to actually implement what they know? And they need to start engaging again with their home center to say, if I'm going to use these tools that I have, actually, I need to pull on these technical resources. I need to have these facilities available. I need to start networking with these other teams to have a true multidisciplinary approach for when I return. So there's not a surprise when they walk in the door when they finish their training. And then even after they return, we continue that conversation with them saying, so now you've gone back. Their supervisors stay in touch with them. There is regular support. And they talk to us about what's working, what isn't, and what changes still need to be implemented and where there is still need for more change. Once they are returning back, we start the conversation of when would you like your supervisor to visit you? There's regular electronic and social media communication in between, but formal actual on-site visits. We try to endeavor that they occur every one to two years. And they will take the format that suits the trainees. So sometimes we will go and do clinics or ward rounds with them. Sometimes we will give formal didactic lectures. Sometimes we will engage with their national pediatric meetings. We will fit in with wherever the trainee and the partner center leads say that we are needed to help. And we will follow their guidance. During those visits, we opportunistically will meet with any other stakeholders at the partner sites feel it would be useful for us to meet with, be it the deanery or the Ministry of Health, we will enter into those conversations and follow whatever will help that partner centre strengthen its home setting and its home capacity to deliver care. Likewise, we encourage the partner centres to visit us. So every year we have uh, three or four representatives from the partner centres that come down and spend about a week with us and engage with us and they can visit whoever they feel would be useful to them. Every third year we have a big colloquium where we get as many people as possible engaged in the programme to come down to us and we have uh, a large get together and come up with more strategic plans and ideas. 
So the nest that the trainee fits into is not just coming and doing a job in, say, oncology or uh, nephrology. They come into a whole hub of support. And that's everything from the university structures through to the additional supervisors, through to the mentors and the facilitators. And importantly, the other fellows. So we have a multinational group of trainees in addition to the local South African trainees and they form a family and they help each other. And it can be anything from helping to find a particular food substance that they're particularly missing through to actually helping them with how they engage with the patients and how they look at the particular diseases where there's often commonality across the countries because the training is so uniquely specific to the African healthcare system. So the program's grown. We started with five countries and five centres, and now 10 years on, we have 14 countries that we have strong partnerships with, with over 50 collaborative centres within each one, and it continues to grow. Across the specialties that we offer training in, we're up to about 19. It's not fixed. We have a policy that we will not duplicate training in any area that already exists in the country. If the country says to us we are filled to capacity and we still need more general paediatricians, then on those terms we will take the trainee to come through, but not otherwise. If there is a particularly unique area, for example emergency medicine require particular nuances to be adapted in the training, then we will do that. People that come for training in child psychiatry across Africa, 50% of children with epilepsy are managed by psychiatrists. So that's unusual in a resource-equipped setting. So in our setting, when we train those doctors, they spend time in the neurology clinic learning how to manage epilepsy as well because they know when they go home, they will have to do it. We've added in an extra uh, area of training that our general pediatric doctors often don't have time to learn true systems development of how to manage a ward, how to structure staffing needs, how to write proposals. So we've added in a year five. They qualify as a paediatrician, but they can stay on for an extra year to train in what we call our African Hospitalist Program, where we actually teach them health leadership tools and have a set module that they work through doing this. And this has proved hugely, hugely popular. So how do we measure the impact? The, the quantitative measures are quite concrete, and that's obviously how many complete programs. We have 98% completion of the program how many are retained in the centres that they return to. And in any cycle between one and five years, we have up to 95% retention rate of those fellows remaining in their home countries, doing the work they're meant to do, and actually proceeding with their career development and becoming leaders in the field. So we, we feel that we've developed real capacity. And as I said, those quantitative measures are quite fixed. The qualitative measures are the things that really ring true to us in the biggest way. And we published this as a publication in Pediatrics in 2016, where we looked at these measures, but actually our Facebook stories, we think, sell the message in a much better way. So how do we collect the data? We have a huge database, and we put as much information in. And if we look at the quantitative measures, that's obviously the number of completed trainees, the degrees, and the publications, and then the type and the addition of the host institutions. But that qualitative data that uh, sells a true story is looking at the change in practice, the new training programs that are being developed, and then the capacity that's being developed. Those are measurables that are often better in descriptive terms than with finite numbers. Where are we going? So the next five-year cycle, our plans are to strengthen the rehabilitation arm, 
we've excitingly got a fourth arm that we're working on, and this will be looking at clinical technology. So we often find that the trainees go back and actually there are donated ventilators, there are out-of-date incubators, and nobody is looking after the equipment and nobody is operating it properly. So these trainees actually need help. And what we're doing is we are looking at the best way to skill up, be it an actual technologist or a nurse or a medical officer. Our partner sites are identifying who will fill that gap in the best way to actually support the trainees when they go in to implement and develop services. We're helping the countries, our partners, develop more strategic plans. And we're encouraging the trainees not just to go back and sit in a tertiary centre, but to use their voice and their knowledge to lobby for change that goes across from the tertiary right the way down to the public health arena. Our group that have gone back to Kenya formed an East African vaccine initiative program. And that group, with the countries allied to them, have formed an initiative rolling out access to vaccines, which has had massive implications for health and access for children in the region. Our long-term goal is to have these training nodes set up. So as we get the critical masses back into the countries, we want them to develop their own training curriculums. Even if there's a temporary period where they spend some time in the country and some time with us, we want them to actually eventually be able to do standalone training so we get enough of a capacity within Africa for it to independently train its own specialists. Thank you. This is the THET podcast on the Medics Academy Network. If you'd like to learn more about THET, you can find our website at thet.org.